Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters. I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. And on the line with me now is the queen of excitement herself, Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hey, Joe. How you doing? I'm good now that I'm the queen of excitement. You I'm are really the good. queen of excitement. The queen of excitement. But you are not the king of food and social good because we have him on the line today, we Megan. Do. Yep. On the line with us today is John Alento. He is Be Good's co-founder and he's going to be talking about how every aspect of his business from countertop to mobile app supports a local community and he has an incredible vision of keeping this going in the future hey john what's happening hey guys how are you thanks for having me on now we you know the elephant in the room here megan is that he is from boston <laughs> I, I mean, know. And he doesn't I mean, sound anything like you. Why I is know. that? No, what is it? John, you don't have, you know, say Park the Car in Harvard Yard for me. I don't hear anything. <laughs> I know. I don't know what happened to me. I, I've never, I never left Massachusetts my whole life. I went to, I think I blame it. I went to college in Maine. Uh, so I'm going to blame it. On, I'm going to blame it on my experience up yeah. there for four yeah. years. I think I, they, they, they took the Boston out of me. I know. It's a, it's sad. You know, if you want, I do offer, I offer <laughs> sessions. They're paid, but you could pay me in food. You could pay me in food, and I could I could help you revive your Boston <laughs> accent. You know what I mean. So I, you know, when when you're when you're walking around the South End for the rest of the afternoon, I just want you to say over again, "Pissa, pissa." He's a wicked pissa, and you know, just practice a little bit. And then our first session, you know, which will be in exchange for me being at a be good stuff in my face. I will teach you the vernacular again. We we worked some of our greatest deals back in the day on on food, so I think this would fit. That 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 uh, transaction sounds like it would it would be it would be well worth it. That sounds good. That sounds good. So, John, most of our listeners, uh, if they're not from the Boston area, probably have not heard of Be Good. Uh, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about the company? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so, you know, Be Good, we we started uh, we started almost thirteen and a half years ago. I uh, started wow. with my best friend growing up, a guy named Anthony. We met in the sixth grade. Um, you know, growing up together, we, we always said we wanted to start a business. Uh, we, we got out of college, took jobs doing some management consulting. And then about five years later, uh, we, we actually went for it. And uh, and really, it was the idea of Be Good back then was really, we, we identified this kind of hole in the market for, um, you know, an alternative to kind of industrial fast food. So it you have to remember, you have to go back in time uh, 15 years to to remember when, when there wasn't like this whole layer of fast casual restaurants. And that's right. the category of, of kind of what everybody calls now Panera and Chipotle and Sweetgreen and, and Potbelly and you name it. That didn't exist. It was it was McDonald's, BK, KFC, Taco Bell. And then there was some independent right. kind of local yeah. pizzerias and Chinese food places and and so we, 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 as customers ourselves, we, you know, we grew up on McDee's and, um, and we just, as 25 year old guys, we, we, we found that it lost relevance. And so we, we wanted to do really kind of the exact opposite of, of what was happening kind of in the industry. Um, and we were able to build a, build a really nice little business around it. And, you know, 13 years later, we, we've grown from our first restaurant on Dartmouth street to, uh, to 54 restaurants 
kind of all the way up and down the East Coast. When you started 13 years ago, which is amazing, I, I really honestly thought you were like, you know, within the last five years. So kudos to well, you, you on that. Uh, John, you sound like you're like 18. He does. You well, and you and you, old, you, you and Tony make you and Tony making the restaurant. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I'm curious though, when you started out, were you because your food is grown by local farmers, right? So did you start out there? Did you start out with all of this sustainability and healthy living and you know consumer facing goodness, or was it did that kind of evolve over the years? Yeah, it's a great question. So there was definitely very much an evolution, but I have to say from the very first day, our idea was what we defined as real food. So we were going to make what we said, our, our whole thesis was we're going to make fast food real. And, and to us, we, you know, we didn't even know what really that meant other than we wanted to make it with love and with pride and make it the way that, um, that our families made it for us when we were growing up. And, and so at the start, we defined it as explicitly health. We knew it was going to be healthy because it was going to be wholesome, but, but we, we really kind of, uh, our idea of health was what happened in our kitchen. So, you know, we were going to, we ground our own beef for burgers. We made our own homemade veggie burgers. We cut our own potatoes wow. for fries. We, we baked them. We didn't, we didn't, we intentionally didn't fry them. We made all our dressings and sauces, but, but that was where we, def- that's how we defined real. And then, you know, we, we like lived in the restaurants for years cause we ran, we ran the restaurants ourselves and we were, you know, we were, we worked the grill, we worked the line, we were cashier. And, and over time, um, we started to challenge our own idea of what real meant or what I, this idea of real food was. And, mm-hmm. and we started to ask if, you know, if just because we're grinding beef, if, if those, if those animals are raised in a factory or in their shot with shot up with hormones or antibiotics, is that real? And once we started to, once we asked that question and we challenged our own definition, that's when we kind of, we, we got, we became a better company and we started to really push on supply chain mm-hmm. and what happened outside of our restaurant. And when we did that, it kind of opened up a whole new frontier of, uh, of work that we knew we had to do. So that happened after probably three years. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were very much ahead of, um, we were kind of ahead of the curve. Um, Absolutely. We went, you know, yeah. And we started, we made, we created relationships with a, with a local co-op up in Maine um, that, you know, had at the time, maybe a hundred small family farms that they worked with. So they were supplying our beef. Now it wasn't, a, it wasn't easy. We had to create deals where we would take, huge quantities and then we would have mm-hmm. to distribute it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just, we knocked off every single kind of every category on our menu from beef to, pr- uh, to produce, to veggies, to, to fruit, to ice cream, to, you know, dairy. Um, and, and, uh, and I think it got us closer to that dream of, of kind of figuring out what real food meant to us and what we wanted it to mean for our customers. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's so interesting about that too, John is you have headed directly in line with where the industry seems to be going, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of what people are demanding of the restaurants now. And I mean, you know, even though like, you know, there's this little company out there called McDonald's, right? And, you know, they've been struggling of late. I mean, they've had some success with reviving breakfast and stuff. But I mean, you know, there are maybe some systemic problems with their business based on people like you who are really saying, no, this is the way food really needs to be. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's where we—that's how we identified kind of the whole business idea. Um, you know, when we when we kind of wrote it down on a piece of paper, it was it was the world needs this, you know, and and I think that was something that we were going to be proud of and excited about going to work every day, and that was that was what it was about. You know, we weren't we weren't chefs. We didn't we didn't know anything really. Uh, you know, we we ended up getting jobs in restaurants. Like I worked at Panera Bread for about a year mm-hmm. um, before we got started, really, just so that we could prove to our investors 
that um, we understood what it was going to take to be successful in terms of just hours and labor and team building and, and some of the kind of the real the, the fundamentals of, of running a restaurant every day. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we saw, we saw what was happening and I think we, we kind of created a pretty, a pretty good response to it. Now it's one thing to have a good idea. It's another one to be able to execute it and restaurants are really, really hard. Yeah. So, you know, coming out of the gate, it wasn't like we uh, opened the doors and we had the, um, you know, that we had McDonald's scared of us. That was, that's for sure. That's not the case. <laughs> we, we, it, took us, it took us a while to figure out how to run the rest. Are they scared of you now though? They, uh, they, I bet they are. They're shaking, they're yeah. shaking in their boots. Yeah. I'm curious to know how you've shared this mission with your customers though, because it's one thing to be sustainably focused and sur- sourcing local ingredients and all of that fabulousness. But um, how are you kind of sharing that mission with your customers and involving them? Because I feel like that's sort of the next iteration, right? Um, As we're talking about future facing, it's consumers are demanding this. But if you're not telling them and sharing with them what you're doing, then some of that gets lost in the translation somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's the key, right? It's about collaboration and getting and getting customers invested in this. and, And, and really, I think like, real goodness is when, or at least from the company level, it's when you can inspire customers to participate at a level where you contribute together because that's behavior change and that's not a company writing a check. So that's, that's what, that's where I think that's the key. But I, but in terms of how our mission has evolved and how we express it to customers, I think just like I told the story of how be good changed from thinking about food in the kitchen to supply chain, I think our, our, our mission has, it keeps evolving. And, and I think, you know, we're at a point now, I can, I can explain where it started. So, you know, mm. when we started, we said real food was made by people, not factories. Right. Okay. That, that was, that was how we thought about, and that's not really a mission, but that was kind of like, that was kind of like our mantra and rally cry. And that's what we used to inspire our, our internal kind of team members and also our customers and ourselves. And then as we learned more about um, kind of the culture we wanted to build, and as definitely we learned about supply chain, our, our mission expanded a little bit and it became, you know, Real food is, uh, it comes from farmers, is made by people, not by factories, and is served by family. And that fa- the farmer's piece is obviously self-explanatory. And the family thing was something that is, is what we, is really our philosophy of kind of the, the culture we wanted and really the way we wanted to treat customers and make them a part of our business. I think now the, the mission is, is, is much evolved to be, um, to be about, uh, you know, what we think our, our kind of purpose is, is to build community and to improve lives by making healthy food accessible to all. And so, you know, we don't think it's not enough now to just make healthy food because 15 years ago, that was the, that was the differentiator. It was like we mm-hmm. were bringing healthy food to, to, uh, in the face of all this industrial food. Now, now healthy food is pretty exciting. It, it's, it's pretty much ubiquitous, I feel like, but it's only, it's only really ubiquitous in the communities where people have money. So, right. yeah. you know, it really depends on, you know, your, your ability to eat fresh produce is, is limited by kind of the neighborhood you you're born in or mm-hmm. the neighborhood you grow up in. Yeah. And to us, I feel like, I feel like that's the next chapter of our mission. And, and that mm-hmm. one is something that I think we can, we can clearly get customers inspired by that and to want to contribute. And so we've intentionally, we intentionally done things to try to help support that mission um, you know, we've only scratched the surface and, and you know, I, I think there's so many people doing incredible work around around kind of that need. But I think for us, we're, we're proud of what we've done and we know we need to build off more of it. So tell us about in talking about getting customers involved with you. Tell us about Hannah Farm that you have off of uh, off of Boston. 
on the island? Yeah, so so uh, you know, two or I guess last year, year and a half ago, we 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 uh, or actually it was only a year ago. Um, the city of, we worked with the city of Boston in a, in a camp that's on one of the islands in the harbor called Camp Harborview. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a there was a, a farm out there that was abandoned, and the camp, based on our investment in urban agriculture over the last 15 years in the city, we've done a lot of crazy things with urban agriculture. Um, they they identified us as somebody that may be interested in working to restore the farm and then also kind of thinking about it, thinking about the, the, taking care of the land as much more of a community initiative and one that was really rooted in philanthropy. And, and so for us, the way we think about the farm is that, number one, it, it supports our mission of real food and, and supporting local agriculture, but, but it also gives us a platform so that we can make it a real part of our, part of our company. Like mm-hmm. we can have our, our employees actually run the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's our guys and girls out there, you know, right now it's three days a week, but when camp starts in, a, in another week, they'll be out there every single day. Um, and so those are experiences that I, I don't think a typical food company can, can build into its culture. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, you know, there's this idea of community. So we have, we have customer volunteers. So there's an open enrollment. Customers volunteer. They can come out every single day um, and they can work alongside us. And then number three, we donate 75% of everything we grow back to uh, people in the city who need it with the primary focus of giving it back to the campers and their families. So the campers on the island are um, identified by the city as at-risk kids between the ages of 12 and 15. You know, I'm, in, I'm, I'm interested, uh, John, with doing the farming on the island. Is Have you folks faced any challenges in doing that? Like, in some ways, it would seem the island would be a great location for a farm. But then in some ways, it would seem like, yeah, but it's challenging because you got to you got to import everything out there, right? You know, everything that you need, including the help and stuff like that. Has that been a challenge at all for you? Or do you kind of like just being like, I have an Island all to myself? <laughs> no, it's, it's the, it is the craziest. I mean, it is, it makes no sense. No, nobody. I was wondering, that. I was wondering, uh, you know, I was thinking, John, you have a farm on an Island and that's good, but to keep it away from the kids, but then you import the kids out to it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good way to think about it. We wouldn't have done it without the kids, but I get what you're saying totally. The you know the 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 travel by boat is something that I think we understood going in, but you don't really know how how difficult that is. I mean, it is if you forget something. I mean, whoops, you're not you're not going <laughs> that's back it. to get it. So. Yeah, yeah, and also there's like there's some smaller things that you don't realize, which is like just because it's on an island, there's there's limited stuff out there. So yeah. just getting the harvest from the farm to the camp or getting the harvest from the farm to the boat. Um, you know, there's not, there's not, there's no trucks out there. There's, um, there's just, there's just limited resources across the board. So it's just, everything is, everything is like twice as hard. You just line the kids up with wheelbarrows and say, here you go. Here you go. Right. (laughs) Now, why is it, why is it, uh, John, the only thing I can envision is you and Tony out there in white suits and it's like fantasy Island. Do you know what I mean? Like, welcome, <laughs> welcome to Fantasy Island. You know, welcome to Hannah Farm and stuff like that as you oh, toast people with. Need, what was the little guy? What was the little guy on the show? I forget. Tattoo. Tattoo, yeah. Tattoo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, just let's, let's just what's say up? that's Tony. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's just keep that between the three of us. Hey, Megan, before we get up to our next question, I want to recognize today's show sponsor, Catalyst. Catalyst is the industry's only matchmaking platform for companies and causes. Think of them like an online dating app for social good. You can 
research companies, the customers, and the types of partnerships they're looking for. Then you can actually connect with companies that make sense for your organization. How great is that? Catalyst uses sophisticated data and algorithms to broker partnerships between hundreds of Fortune 1000 companies and nonprofits like the Avon Breast Cancer Crusade, the Humane Society, the National Park Foundation, World Vision, and many, many others. With pricing and packaging scaled to your organization's size, it's a solution for everyone. Visit GoCatalyst now, www.gocatalyst.com. Tell us what you've learned over the years as it relates to involving customers, because that's, I think that's more our focus on the show, too, is, you know, purpose driven things that are directed at customers and employees. So what have been your lessons learned over the years as you're trying to communicate your mission, as you're trying to involve people? Um, what would you say you've learned over the years? And it's amazing that you've been doing this for 13 years. So I would imagine we could have a podcast just on that question. But if you could just share some of the highlights. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think at the most basic level, we realized that, um, you know, when we started, we, we, we had very little capital. Like, we, we had enough to open the restaurant. And so we learned that the best way to take care of your customers is to support them and support the things that they care about in their community. And, and if some way you can build a business that makes neighborhoods better, then that neighborhood is going to support you really even on your bad days, on your good days. And, and we, we learned that lesson from the beginning. And so when we thought about collaboration, community building, it was like, it was, it was, it really came from, um, it came from like the real roots and origin of the business. So, you know, a couple of good examples of what we do is, you know, now that if you fast forward 15 years, we have the, we have the, uh, we have the advantage of technology. So, you know, we have an app and, and on our app, anytime, you know, we have, we have probably 150,000 users of the app now. And anytime you get a reward based on frequency or loyalty, you're, you're a lot, you can redeem it obviously by, by taking your freebie and cashing in on it. You can share it with somebody so you can share it with a friend or you can donate it. And so every Be Good has a, has a community partner. Um, but we enable customers to actually like, if, if you get a free bowl or a free salad from Be Good, you can, you can click a button and that bowl leaves your app and, and you, it, it's a, complete uh it's just complete faith and be good that we're going to take that from your app that you could have redeemed and we're going to give it to the community partner that you selected and you know we've been doing that for four years and we've already had eighteen thousand donations that we've fulfilled and and that i think that's it's yeah but it's a it's a small example i think of of real collaboration and making customers a part of um of doing good Well, making it easy for them to do good. I mean, that's easy. Yeah. That, you know, I love that idea though. Like that's so innovative in sense, like, and I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot of people using your mobile app, which is great. I mean, not every company can really boast that. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've seen, well, I mean, I think one, one big piece is that ordering online is in, in ordering from either mobile or, or PC is, is it's the, it's the future of restaurants. Right. And so a lot of, a lot of the adoption of our app is, is driven by ordering. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's great. Cause once you, once you have them, if they order once and they have a good experience, that's going to be the preferred channel. And then once they do mm-hmm. that, then you can layer on all these other pieces of functionality, whether it's, you know, loyalty and, and kind of social mission and the stories and the messages. But, but, but yeah, it's, 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 it's 25% of all of our transactions happen through uh, digital. So wow, it's, it's a meaningful piece of our business. That is fantastic. Anything else that you can think of that kind of rises to the top that you've learned that might be relevant in terms of communicating? I mean, it sounds like you're using in-store real estate to kind of talk about some of this stuff, which I think is unique. I mean, even, 
I'm thinking of our kind of natural grocer locally or some of our natural foods places. Like they don't always do that, even though I know and I go there because I know they do. They don't necessarily do a good job communicating in store. Anything you've learned there in terms of communicating to to customers in that regard? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think we've learned a lot. I think I think one thing we've learned is that you can't you can't overwhelm people with with the the messages in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, at Mm -hmm. some level. They are there. They are there to 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 support your business and and really eat your food. And so to to us, the four walls of our restaurant. If we're doing it the best way possible, we're we're mostly focused on telling the story of the food, where it comes from, uh, and how we make it. Mm-hmm. And then you know the community element. That that's kind of icing on the cake for us. So so we we want to tell that story through the experience, but it's not it it isn't the centerpiece. While while giving back and community building is is one of our kind of key pillars as we define what our brand is um, the in-store experience. It, it, it really has to be focused on food. So, so, you know, what we use instead is it's, it's very much digital. It's, it's uh, you know, it's social, it's digital, it's our mobile app. And then, and then a big piece of it is we, you know, it, it is being really at the grassroots and, and, and being a part of the community at events and, and really kind of um, it really at like at the organic level. So, you know, we have a foundation which is all about kind of collaboration with customers. So we, every, every quarter we'll solicit ideas and, and customers make videos. And then we have a board, our board selects the top three or top five, and then we put it out to vote from our community. So our customers actually decide who gets the funds every quarter. Um, you know, just in this, this past spring, we ramped up things a lot and we actually gave away about $60,000 in grant money to, two organizations in Boston that were fighting for food justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so very much in line with kind of the mission of, of what where we see kind of the need of around, uh, <clears throat> around improving thri- lives through healthy food. But that, that part of the foundation, while that all happens, um, you know, through social media, email, um, and on our website, you know, our customers are out in the communities actually kind of uh, creating these ideas and submitting the applications themselves. So I think, at some level, it's, it's cross-channel. You know, one of the things I'm interested in, John, is how do you, it's such a balancing act, I think, balancing profit with purpose. And I think maybe you folks have an easier time with it because you built it in right from the beginning. And I think businesses that are trying to add it in now, I think it can be a bit challenging and they see it and they don't always see it as cost effective. Do you sometimes run into that where you're, where you're thinking like we want to do the right thing, but we also have to be, you know, uh, I remember one of, I guess, I think it was Mary Kay, Megan said, um, they said, you know, we, we can, we only have money to give away if we're making money. Right. And, you know, and, and I mean, is that, a, has that been a bit of a balancing act for you, John, in terms of your business? I mean, absolutely. You know, like, I mean, we're a for-profit company. We have, <clears throat> we have shareholders that we have to create a return for, but I, but I think, I mean, I'm, I really believe, and I think, I think Diga believes that um, purpose-driven companies, um, if you take the long view on that, you're, you're going to create more profits. And, yep. and I think, Success, you know, success over the long term is is really, in a lot of ways, it's defined by the success of your communities and, and what your impact is. And the new era of, of consumers, they want to support things and, and believe in brands that that align with their own values, or at least the values that they that they want that they want to be associated with. The winning strategy is not about oh, let us make money and then give it away. It's it's how do we actually kind of combine? Mm. Or, or the, I guess it's it's the belief that when you combine purpose. Um, or when you're purpose-driven, profit 
profit follows. Yeah. Well, I think I think the big thing is too is that instead of creating opportunities for purpose, like you're finding them at, in every part of your business as you go along. Do you know what I mean? Like you're always kind of looking for that for that angle, and I think that makes it much easier for people to implement purpose driven programs because that's the mindset on something like that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think. The reason why we look for it so much, though, is that we, we actually we really do believe that it creates it creates business value, you know, and that, that it does it does create profitability because customers are more likely to visit. They're more likely to support you. They're more likely to tell others, you know, <clears throat> and there are and there are definite ways you can measure that from mm-hmm. uh, surveys, you know, through like net promoter scores. Um, you know, we, we definitely we. We don't underestimate the power of kind of word of mouth and, mm-hmm. and referral. No, and I think it's really, especially with young people, the business of the future is. And what we heard even from uh, Cone Communications, which was recently on the show, that this is only becoming more important to people, John. And when we say more important, we're talking about numbers like that are in the 80s and 90 percentiles in terms of how supportive people are of businesses prioritizing purpose alongside profit. So you folks really seem to be ahead of the curve. And you're a Boston guy, so I mean it's like double kudo to like you. The best of both worlds. That's right, the best of both. Now, if you only had the accent, you'd be all set. But I mean, we can work on I'm that. Working on it. We I can work classes. on that. Yeah, That's right. You got classes. classes. You have a tutor. Well, John, this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on the episode to talk about Be Good and your fantastic purpose-focused mission. If people want to learn more about Be Good or you online, how might they do that? Uh, best ways are to follow us on Facebook by uh, just by the handle BGOOD or on Instagram at Be Good Official. Um, and you know, like as we already talked about in the in the at the top of the of the show, we we have volunteers out every day to our to our farm uh, in the in the harbor. So if you'd like to if you'd like to volunteer, just go to our website BeGood.com BGOOD.com and drop us an email or fill out uh, fill out the volunteer calendar. See, a Bostonian doesn't know what he just said because he said harbor instead of haba. 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 It's out in the harbor. But the good news is that we can all understand him, unlike uh, you. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. If people want to understand you online, Joe, how might they do that? Oh, so many ways to understand me. You can visit me at Twitter, at Joe Waters. I'll be talking minute to minute with you. And you can visit my blog, SelfishGiving.com. Don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter. Get my five-day mini course on cause marketing. Of course, check out all those pins on Pinterest at Pinterest.com, front slash Joe Waters. Over 4,000 cause-related pins organized by type of campaign, Megan. Do you know how much work that was for me? But it's a great resource to people. <laughs> what about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode, engageforgood.com, as well as selfishgiving.com. And be sure to subscribe to Cause Talk Radio on iTunes when you're there or in Google Play so that you do not miss an episode. And on behalf of John and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>